0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And I suppose we should talk about Standard a little bit, even though this is going to
1: be primarily a Modern focused episode. Yeah, well, we obviously have one of the biggest Standard tournaments of the year coming up. It's time for MC Five, Mythic Championship number five, going down in Long Beach. I think in yep. just a just a day now. We're recording this on Thursday, so it'll be happening tomorrow on Friday. And if you missed it, we actually already broke down every single deck being played in the tournament, but over on our YouTube page. And that's not going to be going up as a podcast. It's only avail- available on our YouTube page. So you want to head to YouTube.com slash Arena Decklist, and you can check that out to see what Jerry and I thought of every single deck in the format.
0: Yeah, two hours long. So effectively a free podcast episode for those who are interested and Wizards was kind enough to post the deck list on Monday. I had started scrolling through them, and then you messaged me and we're just like, yo, you wanna you wanna just stream this stuff, like us going through it? And I was like, Yeah, absolutely. So we just did a live reaction for basically every deck list, and we we have some favorites for the tournament. We have some people who we are definitely interested in watching because their decks are interesting, and then we had some favorites just based on you know metagame deck selection too.
1: Yeah, obviously it's a a tournament that's going to be headlined by Golos. Something like 30 some percent of the decks in the field have copies of Golos in them. We knew that going into this event, there's no way that was going to be escaped from. Uh, But there is some innovation going on below that. And I think there's innovation continuing to happen on Arena. I'm seeing many, many new decks pop up. But I I think it's going to be hard to paint anything other than Golos as, as the favorite. One because it's a very, very good deck, like potentially facing bands good. The other because it's a huge percentage of the field, and the majority of MPL players also choosing to play Golos in this tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean there's there's a big swath of Ultimate Guard slash Pantheon members who played Simic with four main deck disdainful strokes. And I think that their deck is quite good for the tournament too. But yeah, basically everyone else is is Golosing. I mean, uh Jess Estefan Stefan is on Ban, Savige is on Jess Guy canisters on Golgari Adventures, and I definitely like his deck too. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder what the actual percentage is of MPLers because it is quite high.
1: Yeah, I think it was like eight MPLers or something like that playing Golos. Definitely far and away the most representative of all the archetypes. But you mentioned canisters deck. I When we did our prediction show, our, our ana- analytical show, I chose canisters deck as the best deck in the entire field. And that was my choice for winner of MC5. And I know you've gotten to play with the deck a little bit in the aftermath of that show. Are you as impressed as I am?
0: Mostly. I I like the macro, but not the micro, if that okay. makes sense. I, sure. I like generally what his deck is doing. You have the uh, engine of Edgewall Innkeeper and a bunch of solid adventure creatures and then he's actually choosing to get a little bit more aggressive with Questing Beast and Vivian Arcbow Ranger, which I really like a lot. I, it's just free wins when you get to combine those two cards, basically. And my ad- adventure, I guess, through Standard on Arena has been like, all right, I'll play Golos to Mythic. And I entered at like 200 something and then started playing Simic and climbed to top 100 something. And then I kind of got bored and wanted to play all these new sweet decks that were coming out. And then I just ended up in the dumpster, like just the the very bottom, like 97% dumpster, right? Okay. And played some more, was kind of like hovering at like a 50-50 win rate. And then I started playing with Canister's deck, making iterations, stuff like that. And I am well out of the dumpster. I'm winning like 90% of the matches that I play deck is very, very good. I posted an updated list and sideboarding guide on Patreon for those who are interested in that. And I haven't gotten to play enough to like, you know, shoot for top one or whatever. And I'm not sure that I will, honestly, but deck is definitely very, very good. And it has given me the highest win rate, not close.
1: I want to ask you about that. Actually, do you have any desire to hold the number one spot at all. Like I for me, do it at some point. Right. That's, like so that's where I was. And I was like, maybe I should do this. So I was as high, I went in at like 200 something a few months ago and I played up to top 30. And I was like, okay, maybe this is the time. I want to hold it at least one time. Maybe this is the time I push for it. And then I think I lost my next game and fell to like 70. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. Not even trying anymore because the the swings were too real. I didn't want to battle through it. But at some point, I feel like we should race to number one. That's what we should do. We should pick a season and then like have a contest, which one of us will get there first. That could make it real interesting.
0: I could see that. I mean, it might be tough for our schedules to align or whatever, but that's true. That's I do. True. I do want to hit number one because I haven't done that in any other card game or anything. You know, like I've, I've hit legend and I've played a decent amount to get to like top 100 ish, but I never put in like the extra five hours or so it would actually take to to grind up there. So I've just like never tried, you know, I've never sat down and been like, all right, you know, I'm going to do it. And it I takes like a to- level
1: of commitment for sure. Like, and, and it's a level of commitment that if I'm being honest, I don't have, and I really don't want to have, like it would have, there'd have to be something special inspiring me to go do this. Maybe if I'd like find a way to do it for charity, I could push myself to do it. That's really the best way to motivate myself. That would be a cool stream. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to think about this a little bit more. I do think it's an interesting goal.
0: Yeah. And also just like doing the the race, to mythic, right? Like after the reset, so you can get there first or whatever. I think that would be cool too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll see if we can find a fun way to do this.
0: Yeah. Maybe we could get like, you know, 20 people involved, have people, you know, like put money on their champ or whatever. And then if that person actually does it first, then. You know, they get the money to go to charity of their choice or something, and then the people get something. I can see doing something like that.
1: Yeah, this, I, I am envisioning it in my head right now. There's something cool we can do here. We'll definitely talk more about it.
0: Yeah, Kanye is is not invited though because nope, he he nip, would just nip, beat nip, everyone. Nip. So. He
1: grinds too hard. He plays too fast. He's had number one a bunch of times. Don't trust him. I, I think he's broken.
0: Yeah, well, we would have to handicap him. We would have to get him on a new account, like starting right, yeah. in fucking he's bronze. He's got to start from bronze, <laughs> and he's, he's free
1: to pay, too. He's got to grind out all of his uh, his jewels to get his deck.
0: Ooh, I don't know about that. I, th- I think you just start him in bronze, and we'd be good to go. But yeah, I, I, I think that would be fun to do. I, I think that Golgari Adventures is definitely very good. We have a PTQ this weekend, too, so maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Uh, with the BNR moved up to Monday... It might be the the swan song of Golos. So
1: I'm kind of tempted to
0: just play that because I haven't actually gotten to play it in a tournament.
1: I feel you. And I was talking with you before we went live and I relayed my experiences playing Golos. I've played Golos not as much as people would expect when I played fandom and won the Caster Cup. That was the first time I ever played a game with the deck. Uh, I went 4-0 there. The next time I played games with the deck was the next week in Fandom, where I went 5-0 and then lost in the quarterfinals. And then recently I was playing a bunch with all these new decks from the MC and just kind of floating in the middle, not really doing all that well, doing pretty well with Canister's deck. Nothing outlandish, no preposterous win rates. And then I was just like, well, maybe I'll just play a little... Golos again. And then I just couldn't lose. I literally went on a huge winning streak. So my record with Golos is like above 95% win percentage. I realize that's not sustainable and a very small sample size, but the deck is in the crosshairs for a reason. It's preposterously powerful. And your opponents have to play very, very, very well against it to beat you and have a very good plan against you as well.
0: Right. It's it's a tall order. And you're kind of seeing that with the MC deck list, right? Where People like Kai and
1: Reed and Finkel are like main decking for Disdainful Strokes. And I'm not even sure that's enough, quite frankly, because I have beaten that deck several times on ladder at this point. And granted, there's a difference between playing someone on ladder and playing against Kai or Finkel. Obviously, things change quite a bit. But just in that environment, I'm still finding success against that. Is Finkel even in the tournament? I just rattled off his name as like a team member, but now I I don't even remember. I don't think so. I don't think that's right, actually, because Hall of Famers are not invited to this, so. Yeah. But regardless, you get the point. Very good players playing the deck is a fundamentally different experience.
0: Right, and I mean, if Finkel were there, he'd be playing that deck.
1: Sure. So, He's,
0: he's there in spirit, but yeah, uh... It's just so tough, right? It's like they can they can just stick it to fairy, you know, and then your strokes don't do anything and your game plan can kind of crumble from there and everything. So I do feel like even if it might not be the best metagame choice or the best choice to actually try and win the tournament, that I want to just have this track record of being on the right side of history and like playing the deck that is going to get banned before it gets banned. Sure. Maybe that yeah. sounds stupid. I don't know. But- no, no. Oh, I-, I,
1: I did the same thing last modern season with Hogak. I was just like, I, this deck is... Absolutely preposterous. I don't care if it's being targeted. I need to play this, and uh, I was never rewarded with any kind of deep run, but it felt like the right decision every time for sure.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens, and I'm sure we'll have updates for people next week on the podcast, possibly some some Twitter updates. I know that uh, whenever you and I are at mocks battling, I'm I'm pretty good at like taking photos of you because there aren't a lot of photos of you that exists. So I'm yeah I'm I collecting like a like, stockpile
1: terrible i wish we could just keep it where they don't exist but you uh you break that every single time we were at a tournament together Nothing i haven't I posted about them it. i haven't posted them so they're still
0: you know just there
1: so you just have a private collection of photos of me i think that's worse
0: i'll do something with them at some point okay, great you know, if we, we if we ever try and do some sort of like photo op for the brand or whatever like i'll actually have some stuff to go through some material
1: you know sure Sure. You also have those green screen ones that you made me take as well for our YouTube page. So we could take surprised YouTube faces uh, for all of our thumbnails. Yeah, those have been great, though. They're OK. I, I can tolerate those. They've been great, dude.
0: And you did an excellent job. I'm sure the people at home love them.
1: Uh, I hope so. And I know my wife loved coaching me through them as well. <laughs> she, she got very into it. I think she was supposed to be a photographer.
0: Yeah, see, that's that's the thing, too, is like I, I got to force you to engage in like a bonding moment with your wife and everything. Like you're welcome, man.
1: I don't need bonding moments with my wife. We are, we are well bonded. We have been together for 12 <laughs> years. We love each other very much. We don't, we don't need specific bonding moments. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: You should, you should keep the marriage fresh and interesting. And I think, you know, her coaching ops you. is the way to do it. Yeah, like give me give me a frowny face. All right, give me excited face. You know that's that's something that I'm sure y'all have not done yet.
1: So she was she was very good at doing exactly that. I was surprised how well she captured my inner YouTube face.
0: Yeah, there you go. All right, modern uh, SCG regionals is this weekend. I don't think we have one near us in Washington State, but regardless, I have this PTQ that. I want to play in because I'm not home very often, and this is super local for me at Mox Boarding House. So I'm going to be playing Standard instead, but Modern looks pretty good right now.
1: Well, how do you define pretty good? Uh, I need some clarity on what exactly you're trying to say about the Modern format.
0: Okay, so Modern right now Mm -hmm. definitely has an onus on every player to be able to interact starting on like turn two or so. So that in and of itself is not necessarily good, right? Like you, in general, I think you would want people to just be kind of okay, not having like the right card for the right matchup in their opening hand, especially in game one, because you don't know what your opponent's playing. If you're playing Burn and you don't have on, and they just combo kill you on turn three, like obviously that's not a good experience in general. But as far as there being a wide variety of viable decks... I think that that is mostly a good thing for modern, especially because, you know, people don't necessarily have the ability to switch decks at whim. So just being able to pick up like a mid range deck or a big mana deck, like whatever your uh, personal flavor is, I think is a good thing. But it's not
1: necessarily indicative of what a good format is, right? Yeah. So that would be my contention. I would half agree with you. Obviously, it's an extremely. Diverse format right now, a lot of viable decks you can play. The part where there's an onus to be able to interact with your opponent starting turn two, well, that's one way of looking at it. Or you can look at it as there's an onus to never interact with your opponent and be able to do your thing as quickly as possible. And as I look through, the top eight of scg indianapolis i'm looking at gift storm zero interaction amulet titan zero interaction amulet titan zero interaction burn uh i mean you can occasionally interact in general you don't want to right Uh, john death shadow legitimate interaction i'm that is the one deck here where i'm going to give it to you then we go to urza ascendancy no interaction Selesnia eldrazi no interaction dredge no interaction
0: Okay, so you know that Amulet Titan is not a turn three combo deck. Like Amulet Titan is a control deck, basically.
1: I do know that in instances where that is a viable plan. And the reason Amulet Titan has found so much success historically in modern is that it is able to do that when it needs to, but it also can be a turn three combo deck. And that's why it's finding success right now because it has access to both of those things.
0: Which, yeah, granted, it it did get second and third in the tournament. And, you know, Zach Allen played it and he's he's a control player, you know. So I I know that he is at home transmuting to West to find an engineered explosives and picking up Radiant Fountain to like give him that extra turn and stuff. But, yeah, for, for the most part, he probably got a lot of free wins against these Urza decks where they don't have any interaction. And he's able to just actually combo kill them on turn three and there's nothing they can do. Gift Storm has, uh, you know, Drake's list has two remands. So like you have a little bit, but yeah, I, 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 definitely hear what you're saying. I do think that in general, those are probably going to be the most successful archetypes are the ones where it's like, well, I can interact with you if that's what it comes down to, but mostly I just want to like try and turn through you. right? And that is the
1: part of the the format where I'm just like, well, this is, this is not the best. Agreed. But I think it's beside the point. Like, ultimately, this is what modern is. This is what it always will be. This is what a lot of people love. And I can find occasional joy in it and find ways to engage with the format. So it's really not worth like having the discussion of, oh, is this the, what modern should be? It just is. This is what modern is. Right. A lot of people like it. I'm fine with it.
0: The problem is is that I think the fundamental turn is like 2.5 to 3.5 somewhere in there and I th- yes. I ideally that would be a little bit lower or higher however you want to look at it you know it would be like 3.5 to 4.5 so the right. format is a little fast right now and a lot of that has to do with Urza I think and just being very popular at the the forefront of everyone's preparation and deck selection and everything but it's it's still not crushing, it's not doing well, but I guess a lot of that is due to the format shifting in, you know, look at the top four. We have Gifts, Storm, two Amulet Titans, and a Burn deck, and all of those decks are very much prepared for Urza.
1: Yeah, and I think that is what's happening now. So basically, a few months ago, I said, play Urza until someone takes it away from you. And I mostly still agree with that, but I also think people have maybe gone off the deep end a little bit with these... Ascendancy or Paradoxical Outcome list. Not to say that I don't believe there's something there, because 100% there is. This is a powerful, powerful set of cards. And at some point, the combination of Paradoxical Outcome and Urza and possibly Jeskai Ascendancy will come together and be too good. Like, there's just too much power. Your deck has eight moxes in some instances. Like, that's just absolutely absurd. So, something is is going to happen eventually with the archetype. But I think it's still being figured out in terms of exactly what you're supposed to do for the outcome decks. And meanwhile, there's just Harlan Freer sitting here leading the SCG toward leaderboard, 106 points, just a tremendous amount of points, consistently playing four-color, whereas they're consistently doing very, very well, finished 21st in Indianapolis, seemingly the last person playing just the four-color version. But Urza as a card has a lot of different avenues you can go down, and everyone jumped ship from the four-color builds, which really never started losing. Like They just remained good. And when people decided to get on board, they got on board at the point that Paradoxical Outcome had been introduced to the equation. But I'm not sure we didn't jump the shark a little bit by going to that point immediately. Maybe that was an adaptation that you were supposed to save for down the road.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure. Uh, I, I I think Paradoxical Outcome makes sense when you include Emery and you include Mox Amber and you have a bunch of cheap artifacts. Maybe Paradoxical Outcome is a stronger game plan than the Thopter Sword stuff. Mm -hmm. I think going the extra step and playing Jeskai Ascendancy and like hard focusing on the combo is probably not where you want to be, though, because you just lose a lot of versatility and the ability to interact with all these other decks.
1: Right. Something a little bit more in the middle sounds much more promising to me.
0: Yeah, and then we have Asa Snyder in 50th with Emery, but still doing uh, Thopter Foundry, like War of Invention stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that's a, a better way to do it. I don't know.
1: Still a lot of avenues to explore, but regardless of how you want to do it, it is clear Urza the strongest card in modern right now. I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And look, you could also say Mox Opal and I would accept that answer as well. But yeah, that package is clearly Urza plus Mox Opal. That's the PowerPoint of modern as it stands right now.
0: Well, it's a combination of things because obviously Mox Opal is just busted, like whatever you end up doing with it, as long as you're able to enable it, you're probably going to be doing something powerful. Urza is a very powerful payoff. And then, I mean, you could just be Casting hex plate golems, right? And like that would probably just be fine. Instead, people are doing all sorts of weird things that may or may not be good. We don't know yet. I mean, these decks are still doing very well and they're not really tuned. And it's questionable whether or not this is even the strongest thing to be doing with the, the deck, the shell. But I mean, it's also kind of weird because like a lot of the good players are playing these Urza decks with paradoxical outcome. So maybe they're having a little bit more success just because, you know, they have like a 5% extra win rate over random opponent, you know? Right. So yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I do think that for SCG Indie specifically, that was just strictly a modern open preparing for Urza and decks like it was probably the right call. And you see that with the top four, I think uh, a lot of people got paid off for that decision and you see a lot of Urza decks just kind of like chilling in the middle, maybe underperforming a little bit. And for something like SCG regionals this weekend, I think tournaments like that typically skew a, a little less spiky to the right. point where you will probably see far fewer copies of Urza than you would at an actual open.
1: I think that's exactly right. And you want something that's more Broadly powerful, less focused on the mode of interaction that presents a problem for Urza. So it's very easy to see a format like this and think, oh, you know, what? Do, where can I find my best Urza matchup? That's clearly a deck we want to be on right now because people are picking up Urza. I don't think that's true for regionals. I think you want something proactive, 100% powerful with game against virtually everyone. And you know what deck ticks all those boxes for me? Damn is- you, Lit. Amulet. And there was a period where I was recommending Amulet in spite of the reality of the situation. I do not feel like I'm doing that presently. I think Amulet got a tremendous upgrade in the form of Once Upon a Time. And Once Upon a Time's effect on this format is basically what I thought it would be. It's not as problematic in the places that people were at first most concerned about it. Like People were very concerned about it In Tron, they were super concerned about it in Neobrand, saying that Neobrand needed to be banned before the card released in some instances. Neo Brand is still a bad deck. That has not changed. It's still too inconsistent for its own good. I think it's very good. I don't know, man. Like, if that were true, it would just be winning at some point, and it doesn't. It's never won anything. How many people are playing it? I don't know. Some. Some people are playing it, and if it was that consistently winning, a bunch of people would be playing it. Like, there's there's nothing that presents a turn one kill that you look at and don't pick up unless there's severe issues with the deck. Every single grinder in the world would be playing this deck if it presented the type of win rates that people seem to think it does in the abstract.
0: Well, counterpoint, a lot of people are playing this paradoxical Urza deck, and I don't think that its win rate is particularly good. Uh, I, I think okay. a lot of this is... Because of information cascades where, you know, okay. people like people like you are just like, oh, well, the deck's too inconsistent. I played, you know, three games with it and didn't like it when in reality the deck can still be tuned. And there are people like Matsugin who continually crush with it on Magic Online and actually like innovate the archetype,
1: you know? Yeah, but you have to define continually crush like Matsugin top aided at PTQ and that's that's really it, right? Like hasn't won any other ones. I'm assuming has participated in most of them and hasn't broken through with the archetype yet.
0: Uh, I'm not sure how many he actually gets to play in, but I know that uh, he 5-0'd a league and then made it to the finals of a PTQ, and then his list just became like the de facto, right? Right. It was just like what everyone was playing. And as far as like, you know, what PTQs he's played in after that, I'm not sure. Uh, He's also just like messed around and plays a bunch of different decks. You know, he's not one person to... He's not a person to like, just be like, Oh, okay. I'm crucial brand guy for the rest of eternity. Like he, he enjoys magic through brewing and deck building and sure. tuning archetypes and stuff.
1: And and that is fine. But I, I do think at some point the onus becomes like prove yourself. And now whatever, six months into Neo brand's existence, it would have just happened by accident. Like even if you go further down the road and you go and look at things like IQs that are happening in small stores I I know this because I needed to find a neo-brand list for an article I was writing recently. And I had to search for a while until I found one over on Star City Games. So it, it's just not winning anything. And at some point that becomes evidence.
0: Yes, unless they're just all kind of doing it wrong. Or like no good people are playing it because you all think like, oh, it gives you no agency, you know?
1: I don't I don't know. I don't I don't buy that argument. The no agency thing goes away at some point. I'm not saying it goes away easily, but I, I promise you, everyone looked at this deck going into the modern MC and had some basic understanding of it because with the London Mulligan, it certainly, I mean, there's been a few times now where this deck got a spotlight shown on it. The first was London Mulligan, where people were sure this deck was going to be busted and everyone was paying attention to it. The next was Once Upon a Time, where people were sure the deck was going to be busted and everyone was paying attention to it. And out of none of these situations has the deck emerged. It's not like it's been under the radar this entire time.
0: So I agree that under London Mulligan, the deck was still way too inconsistent and not very good. And there was also a period where there was a lot of jund and a lot of force negation. And those things are not true right now. Plus, once upon a time does actually help the archetype, and I think main deck Veil vale of Summer solves a lot of problems. So I think I think the deck has gotten better. I'm not saying that like it's been busted the entire time. I'm just saying that like right now I think it's very good.
1: Okay. I, I can see your points for improvement presently. Uh, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to win a tournament with Neobrand. I'm sorry. This responsibility falls on you now. You are Neo Brand guy until this quest is completed. Please go ahead and win the next modern tournament you participate in. Thank see,
0: you. I th- I think that that is pretty stupid though because <laughs> everyone started playing this Paradox Urza deck. It has not won a tournament. Okay. And it, is, it is just the... The hive mind of like these SCG grinders just being like, oh, yeah, you know, decks gas. Like, look at this. I killed someone on turn two in, you know, 20 games. Right. right? And then they all just decide that they're going to play it. And obviously, the deck is at least fine. It is very dangerous because it has those possible kills, but it's not blowing anyone away, you know?
1: Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment of the outcome deck. And I think it's why wa- I think you are spot on. The reason why it's happening is the right people are excited about it.
0: Yeah. So, I don't know. If we had to win a tournament to justify all of our calls, basically, I don't think we would have a podcast.
1: Oh, no. We never win anything, obviously. So, (laughs) that's just impossible.
0: Well, right now, I think we're spending a lot of time making content rather than actually playing in tournaments. So Sure. But regardless, I I think that deck is good. It is certainly better than you think. Uh, If there were a modern tournament, I would certainly try it. Okay. Fair but I, I've also just been enjoying playing like Grixis Death Shadow on Magic Online. That's I, I think I'm like four leagues deep with that deck, and it's been quite good.
1: Yeah, I've played a bit of Grixis Death Shadow as well. I also think that deck is quite good. Uh, probably underrepresented if we're being fair. People have some pent up frustration with that archetype. I know it's thought of as a 45% deck against everything, and maybe there were points where that was true, but I do think it has improved recently. And the main thing is that every single deck that's sitting atop the metagame right now is so vulnerable to Thoughtseize, and there just has to be a good Thoughtseize deck somewhere.
0: It's not even thoughtsies. It's combination of thoughtsies plus Stubborn Denial plus Turn 2 sure. Giant Threat, you sure. know?
1: Lots For- of disruption.
0: For whatever, however good you think Jund is, Grix's Death Shadow, because of what the metagame looks like right now, is like at least three times better.
1: Where do you fall on Jund Death Shadow? We see Jonathan Hobbs taking fifth place with Jund Death Shadow. I know your teammate uh, Allie Warfield played it in the team open you played in SCG Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, so I, I think Jund is fine. Like Jund Shadow is almost certainly better than normal Jund. However, okay. with the format and I mean, had I known this going into Philly, I think I would have recommended Grixis instead. But it it seemed like, okay disruption plus fast clock like that looks great to me. Tarmogoyf is decent against some of the other decks that people are playing. But now having seen the results from Philly and especially how Indy looked, it's like, why would you not play stubborn denial on that deck?
1: Yeah, card definitely looks strong.
0: It's the perfect card. It's, it solves like so many problems and actually gives you like a two pronged attack against them where you have the disruption and you have things to actually stop their top decks. So I, I really like Rixus right now. I don't see why
1: people would be playing Jun instead of it. Very interesting. We'll have to see how that evolves over the next few weeks, especially as we get all of these regional tournaments reporting in. we'll have lots of tournament winners to look at. Ooh, that's true. Exactly. Maybe we should, Maybe we should do something with that. Okay, we could think about ways to present that information.
0: Collect all the the top eight data, maybe just like point out sweet archetypes, stuff like that. Yeah,
1: it sounds like a good show.
0: See what the winner's metagame looks like and everything. Obviously, it's not a great indicator of anything because you don't know what the actual metagame was like in any given tournament. So it's still interesting to look at, see like what, what decks are actually
1: smooshing people. No, you don't have to convince me to spend an entire few hours just looking at deck lists. That sounds like my dream.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I... Went back through the I think the last four modern events that were posted on Magic Online and because I I remember there just being a bunch of sweet decks, but I would just like mentally note them and move on. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, well, regionals is this weekend. I should do something. So I put together a tweet with, I think, 15 pretty sweet decks. I had gone through those decks already, and then I went through them again to kind of compile all the sweetness and share with people. And I've already had a few people just being like, all right, fine, you got me. I'm going to play
1: this deck like (laughs) it looks too good. I know I'm getting tricked, but whatever. Oh, yeah. If I was playing Modern this weekend, I would 100% be playing Fey of Wishes, Blue-White Control. There's no way you could pry that card out of my hand because it's an incredible, incredible magic card. You're just doing this to make me mad. No, it's it's a great card. Everything about it is great. You can go get your knowledge pool from the sideboard and lock your opponent out of the game. Come on. You can just play knowledge pool main
0: deck and not have to pay 10 mana for
1: it. No, 10 mana is a good deal. Happy to pay that. I'll pay four on your end step. I have a Teferi. Everything's fine. Like play Karn instead. Karn is just almost strictly better. Faye of wishes what half, the, half card. the
0: cards that sauce is wishing for are just artifacts anyway it's so we stupid.
1: should we should just do a Faye of wishes tribute podcast like do an entire episode about all the things you could potentially wish for we'll talk about the different artworks on the various versions of Fay of wishes
0: i do like the artwork
1: i'll give you that how good is that the foil uh storybook treatment it's no, it so looks nice.
0: it looks good. I keep opening them. Uh, so <laughs> the universe <laughs> so you have
1: hundreds of them.
0: The universe is just mocking me. Now I have two. I mean, that's that's still a lot. Oh, it is.
1: It is. It's a lot of thirty dollars boosters, resulting in a end of the road fay of wishes for sure.
0: But yeah, card sucks. It's not particularly playable. But uh, moving on, we can talk about amulet a little bit more if you would like. I feel like uh, it's the only way to get
1: you off Fae of wishes talk. Yeah, maybe we could put favor in Amulet, possibly. We'll have to think yeah, about that in the future. Uh, but I, I do want to talk a bit about Amulet. Specifically, well, I don't know if I want to dive deep into Amulet. Uh, we've done that before on the show. But what I do want to dive deep into is a particular sideboard card in Amulet that has me very excited. It's going to see play in a lot more places than just Amulet, and you do see it in other spots in this top eight. I, of course, am talking about Oko, Thief of Crowns. Uh, Will Pullion passed on it, but Zach Allen had two copies in the sideboard. And man, do I love this card in amulet. It just answers everything. It does everything you want from a sideboard card. It's such a good sideboard card for Modern because it's able to get proactive when you need to be doing that. It's able to answer all of these problematic permanents, which are, for whatever reason, always artifacts. Like, you just need to be able to answer a Damping Sphere or a Snaring Bridge or Creatures opposing Primeval Titans. Like, this card does everything.
0: So from the Ursa side of things, this shuts off Collector Oof. I mean, it doesn't get rid of Stony Silence or whatever, but, like, a lot of the decks that are playing a stony variant are playing collector oof, And it's Oko is so good.
1: Yeah. This isn't out to chalice in a bunch of situations where your deck is usually loaded with one drops and you wouldn't want a reactive card, but you can just play Oco and be aggressive with it. This card is just going to see play in every archetype. It's poised to dominate standard for a very long time. In the
0: compilation of lists that I posted, I had a lot of people that were just like, this is just like 15 Oco decks. And I'm like, mm, yeah, you're right.
1: <laughs> yeah get used to the future because this planeswalker going to be absolutely everywhere
0: if you play modern and you think that there's a chance that you have breeding pool in your deck at some point just buy these stupid Ocos before they're more expensive please
1: yeah i don't think this is going to do the thing where you get them when it rotates out of standard or maybe gets banned in standard i don't know if i want to have that discussion but it's not going to get banned ever ever uh on monday I agree with you. It's not going to get banned on Monday. But this card's messed up. Like it it is really, really chilling to a lot of things you would generally like to see happen in your format if you were sculpting a standard format. It it is very difficult to play any kind of small creatures while Oko is around. It's hard to get aggressive without a source of going long. Like just investing into a three like a three-damage burn spell seems laughable when Oko can generate. You know, if you give it enough time, it'll generate all the life you ever need to win a game of magic. Yeah, it's it's a weird, weird card. And I am ultimately shocked it was able to see print in its current state. And that's why it's going to reach back to every single format. I just played the Legacy Pro League or excuse me, the Legacy Premier League. Both of my opponents had Oko in their main deck. I played against Four Color Snow and Rug Delver. Both players had picked up a copy. Uh, so my Chalice of the Voids were particularly ineffective, not because of Oko, more because my deck was bad. But regardless, Oko is going to see play in every single format that allows it, get used to it.
0: Yeah, I should have had some Okos in my Bant deck. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, I don't know exactly you know, what problem I want this to solve, right? But it's just, it all solves all the problems. Yeah, All of the problems. So if if they have small creatures, you make some 3-3s, three uh, especially if you have Orkham's Astrolabe in your deck, you just have like random artifacts lying around that have already paid for themselves you know even they're attacking you with true name nemesis you just get to gain three life a turn and then they just have to start focusing on oko when it has a plus two it's just
1: (laughs) it's just absurd it sounds insane when you say it like its effect on games of magic is just preposterous for three mana like, it's a this card's car. still very good at four mana, right? Like, you would be happy to play this as a four mana Planeswalker.
0: Uh, I mean, maybe not in Modern or Legacy or whatever. Um, okay, okay. And in Standard, maybe there's, like, too much competition. Maybe it's just like, oh, I'd rather have Questing Beast, Wicked Wolf, Vivian, Arcbow Ranger, you know? So it's tough. I, I, I like it as a three mana Planeswalker. I think it should be, like, plus one, minus one, minus five or something, but... Something.
1: Something different from what it presently is.
0: Way too generous. And the the fact that it is showing up in modern and legacy should be a very clear indicator of that.
1: Yeah. And I think the standard problem is also compounded by the fact that you can find one mana ramp very reliably. So this is now a turn two Planeswalker in a lot of spots with the addition of Once Upon a Time, which was, by the way, the most played non-land card at the standard Mythic Championship. Huge surprise, right? Who would have thought the free cantrip would have been the most played spell At the Mythic Championship, it's just nobody could have seen this coming.
0: It's weird, right? Because there are more growth spirals than breeding pools, right? Which insane, which is kind of an indicator that something is wrong. Like there are perverse incentives going on. But yeah, once upon a time, I I wrote about this in my Golgari Adventures write up, where I still, I've tried every single number in various decks, and I'm still not sure what is correct, and I'm kind of going off of gut feeling and uh, experience in previous iterations of uh, similar archetypes and stuff like in in Golos I think it's a slam dunk for of because yes, you want close you, you want some grazers but you don't want to flood on them you want to hit your land drops it finds Golos it finds your sweeper you know like it basically just does everything you also have Hydroid crisis and a bunch of mana lying around. So like when you draw it late, it's not that big of a deal. It, it, it's a slam dunk for of, and I think people who shaved on them just got lazy. Right. But as far as like it's inclusion in Simic, you saw people with like zero, one, two, three and four copies. Right. Right. And it, it's just weird. I don't think I'm ever going to figure out like what, what is correct for any individual archetype, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that it, that is the most played card because it's, shows up at a higher rate than gross spiral in the non Golo stacks and right. you are incentivized to play fewer amounts of breeding pools in your Golo stacks. Yeah. I mean, it, there's some weird stuff going on, but yeah, it doesn't make, s- it doesn't surprise me that there's, you know, this, this is the most played card basically.
1: I just want to point out all the reasons you gave for why it's a clear four of in Golos are exactly why it's a clear four of in Amulet Titan. Yes. The upgrade this deck has gotten with the addition of Once Upon a Time, is it's tremendous. It's a huge, huge upgrade. This is exactly the archetype that benefits the most from Once Upon a Time, much more than things like Tron, I argue much more than things like uh, Neoform, I just think This is the card that has been missing from Amulet this entire time. There's been a lot of weird cards played in this spot. For the longest time, it was Explore. I kind of showed up in Amulet and was like, this card is horrible. Why are we doing this? And it quickly left the deck after that point. But we've... Swapped in a whole host of replacements. There's been Coalition Relic. There's been Trinket Mage. There's been Adventurous Impulse at times. I've seen Oath of Nyssa. All these cards occasionally... Yeah, Serum Visions too. Play. Serum Visions, yeah. Great point. And, Which is a card and, that you can't cast until like turn three. Right, right. <laughs> but but this is the answer. It's once upon a time and it's going it's to fill the slot forever. Absolutely yeah. perfect. I agree. Yeah,
0: Finds Titan, finds Tribe Scout, finds Bounce Land. I mean, does not find Amulet, but your stirrings mostly found amulets and bounce lands. So now you have like this nice split of cantrips or impulses, however you want to describe them that find your pieces. And I mean, if you don't have an amulet or tribe scout early, once upon a time is just going to be free for like the first two or three turns, most likely because you're probably not doing a whole lot. And then, you know, maybe you drew an Azusa on turn two and now you get to use once upon a time to find the primeval Titan that you're missing or vice versa. So it's super flexible, very, very good, automatic four of, don't don't play fewer copies than four. And I'm sure there are matchups where you want to side them out or shave on them or whatever. But uh, for the most part, you are probably doing yourself a disservice if you do that.
1: I, I think you're exactly right. You want to avoid sideboarding them out unless you absolutely have to. And there are instances where you have to. I just put together a sideboarding guide for Amulet that's going to go up on our Patreon page at some point. But... I, I did my best to avoid sideboarding out once upon a time wherever I can. Same principle is probably correct and standard as well. Like It's easy to sideboard out once upon a time, but you generally want to avoid doing so. A couple other points about once upon a time real quick. I think Zach did a really good job altering the composition of his deck to account for the inclusion of once upon a time four lands in the sideboard. I really like that. I really like that you're leaning in harder to the super powerful lands. There's a Cavern of Souls. There's a Field of the Dead. There's a Ghost Quarter. There's a Radiant Fountain. All those cards are slam dunks in various matchups. Uh, And there's a second copy of each too. Exactly, exactly. And with Once Upon a Time, you're going to find them so much more regularly. I also love how Once Upon a Time plays with Disdainful Stroke. You used to get hard punished for leaving up mana on a turn and not just proactively using your mana over and over. Now with Once Upon a Time, you have some flexibility in your end step. And I think that's a really important part of the puzzle as well. So that is only a small part of why Amulet Titan has seen such success lately. Its macro positioning is very good as well, but Once Upon a Time was a big get here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you could already make the case for Amulet just being well positioned, now the fact that it is so much more consistent too, it's just like
1: kind of a slam dunk. Yeah, the the biggest drawback to Once Upon a Time is that in my collector booster, I opened a full art foil one. So now I am priced into buying three full art foil Once Upon a Time's and it's it's a lot of money. I'm broke. I can't, I can't afford these magic cards anymore. There's too many nice versions of magic cards. I just got my full art foil Okos. I'm going to be in the poorhouse because of these variant printings. Oh, I have a, I think I have a full art foil Garenbrig. I need that as well. Yeah, add that to the list of very expensive cards I have to buy. Tough times over in the Amulet household.
0: Do you think Garenbrig is like a, a, a big pickup for Amulet? Or is it just simply good?
1: I think it's good, and I think it's very low cost, especially as Field of the Dead has become a more important important part of the plan. You're more incentivized to diversify your sources anyway. I think it's way more important in something like Titan Shift. There, I think it's just a huge pickup for the deck and a meaningful upgrade. In Amulet Titan, I think it's going to be important... Far less often, but if you've played Amulet Titan, you've had your five mana turns before, and now when those include a Castle Garenbrig, you just got there, so it, it'll come up for sure.
0: Yeah, actually, one thing that I'm noticing now is that the one of Arboreal Grazer is gone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. th- that would come up in certain instances where you would have five mana and amulet and being able to find a one-mana thing off Summoner's Pack that generated two mana, you're, you're effectively Summoner's Pacting for a Simian Spirit Guide, right? Mm-hmm. Does, does Garen Brig just kind of fill that same role? I mean, I know you can't Pact for it, but...
1: I don't think so. I think that was like a very easy solution to an edge case scenario that came up enough that you were willing to give up that slot. But now that Once Upon a Time has so forcefully claimed slots... You just don't have that luxury anymore. And it, it was coming up in like, I don't know, it, it, it's foolish to put a number on it. I'm going to say 3% of games. I have sure. no idea if that's accurate, but it, it was rare, but low cost enough that you were willing to account for it. Now you just have much better cards to play, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I mean,
0: naturally drawing the one of Grazer also isn't that bad. I mean, I know, fine. I know that you hate Explore and it's kind of the worst Explore in the universe, but... I don't know. I I could still see the the one copy existing in the deck somewhere, and it's noticeable to me now when I look at, like, Zach's and Pulliam's list, where it's, like, they both decided to cut it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I think the question is, what are you playing it over? And it's, like, probably your 29th land, but 29 lands in Amulet is kind of the dream. Wanted to play 29 for a long time, and now we're playing, like, 33 in some ways with these Once Upon a Times, so... We, yeah. we have definitely upgraded our land count. And if Amulet could, it would play as many lands as you would let it while still having the core of four Primeval Titan, four Summoners packed as often as possible.
0: Right. I mean, Pulliam has 28 and a Skyshroud Ranger. And I I like having a lot of Tribe Scouts. Once Upon a Time kind of reduces the necessity of like playing the fifth one. But I guess now you could also make the argument for once you have Once Upon a Time, you're more likely to have like untapped green source and Tribe Scout on turn one, which is kind Very of the nut draw. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, maybe you do want to lean into that. But the Sky Shroud Ranger is uh, maybe the card that I would consider cutting. And then I guess if we're talking about Zach's list, then yeah, you just cut the 29th land. But I agree with you. I want as many lands as possible.
1: It's a close call. You're, you're right. You have way more virtual lands, but you also benefit from having way more virtual lands. Right. So uh, whether you're supposed to play that Sky Shroud Ranger or not, I will leave up to the experts. I just know I have my foil ones in in waiting. They're ready to go. I already got those.
0: Word. So, uh, as far as Valakut is concerned, didn't see a lot of that
1: archetype actually present, which... Too slow. Too slow is my feeling on that archetype right now.
0: Well, there are ways to fix that, right? I want to do the like Arboreal Grazer, Search for Tomorrow, two mana accelerant, and then you have five mana on three, and then you gear and break out a Primeval Titan. I want to try and make that happen. Because especially with once upon a time, I think uh, trying
1: to make that happen is a lot more consistent. In that scenario, which sounds nice, by the way, you're still probably looking at a turn four kill at best, but probably turn five, right?
0: Uh, Likely turn four. I mean, it's, it's weird because it means that you had like untapped green source on one, which granted could be like more fetches into stomping ground. But then you need access to a Brig, which is not a mountain. So then that puts you off of, like, actually assembling lethal Valakuts and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it it depends on whether or not virtual kill is the same as actual kill. And I do think that this is a format where actual kill does matter. And I also think that when you're trying to do these things in Valakut, where it was like, oh, we'll play through the breach and Simian Spirit Guide, and then your deck just ends up being this inconsistent mess... I think that this is different where once upon a time, Grazer trying to generate six mana on turn three is actually a consistent scenario now. Okay. And I think that that could just be the future of this archetype and how it's built. You know, like maybe you just don't play as many scape shifts and prismatic omens and stuff like that. And you just try and turbo out a primeval thing, but maybe if that's the case, like why not just put amulet in your deck and do that thing?
1: (laughs) That's always a good question. I think the deck you're presenting is one of the most consistent approaches to a combo you can possibly put together, right? Like it will do its thing in the vast, vast majority of the games very cleanly. You just need to find the scenario where its thing is good enough to win. And when the metagame is shaped in that direction, I have no doubt we'll see people pick up this archetype and find a lot of success with it. it. It just feels a pinch too slow to me right now, even in the turbo form you're talking about.
0: So virtual kill, oddly enough, is probably good enough against amulet Mm -hmm. because you just get so far ahead that unless they nut you with like double amulet, they're not going to be able to attack you for 20, you know, like they're also kind of doing a virtual kill thing, but their virtual kill thing generally involves disrupting you to some degree.
1: Might be able to get out of range depending on how many lands you have been able to find. might be able to get up some uh, shenanigans with your... Radiant Fountain and Vesuvia to just stay out of the massive Valakut range.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if if they're like, all right, I'm going to set a Primeval Titan and then a way to deal you like 15 damage, then you can get out of range that way. But then at that point, they're just like, well, I'll just shoot down your Primeval Titan and attack you. And now I have eight lands or whatever. And that's, right. that's assuming that they don't have like a escape shift or another Titan or whatever, like right, some sort right, of right. follow up to just bury you. I mean, I, I envision a lot of those scenarios are going to involve having to pay for summoners pack and stuff anyway. So it's it's possible that they just don't have a follow up,
1: but could also set up Ghost Quarter as well. Like the games are more interactive than you would expect. And generally the interactiveness leans in favor, excuse me, of Amulet Titan because they are the ones that are packing spells that are actually meaningful.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they get to Titan and then transmute for a uh, pactum negation. Right. Whereas you don't have that luxury, so you might, you may actually need to set up actual kills because you don't have the luxury of setting up, you know, Titan plus disruption.
1: Right. So post board disdainful stroke. I would bring in Oko in that matchup. I was thinking about it when making my sideboard guide today. Yeah. Um. I, I think it matters enough slowing down the primeval Titan onslaught and then getting some ghost quarter action going. So yep. I, I just think there's good counterplay options for the most part.
0: Yeah, it's possible the the way the format is constructed right now that Valakut is a worse version of Amulet. But if that shifts or like I mentioned for SCG regionals this weekend, if you are expecting your local metagame to be less Urza heavy, then Valakut might just be a a better option. If you are able to successfully configure your deck with like four Grazer four once upon a time,
1: etc. That's I think that's an excellent point,
0: but you can't really go wrong with Amulet. I think no matter what, Amulet is still going to be very good against random decks. I guess Titan Shift has the luxury of playing Damping Sphere in the sideboard, which maybe could do something. But
1: uh, Again, another reason why I was inclined to bring Inoko in the matchup, just yeah. clean up that problem. And you also have, you can keep your main deck uh, Reclamation Sage as well. There's enough targets where I'm usually okay with it sticking around.
0: Yeah, and it's it's so low opportunity cost too. It's, right. it's one card in a deck where you often end games with so many extra resources anyway that it
1: just mm-hmm. generally
0: doesn't matter. And it's not like, oh, this reclamation stage could be something else that would have been relevant because that's generally not how it works. You know, right. Your, your bad cards like engineered explosives sit on the sidelines and whether or not it was a tireless tracker probably would have no bearing on the game. Yep. I like... Versus Death Shadow a lot for opens and for, you know, Magic Online PTQs, things that are a little bit more spike heavy. But for something like regionals, I might just try and play something that's like a little bit more generically good and powerful. So Primeval Titan fits that uh, to a T.
1: Yeah, can never go wrong casting Primeval Titan. Anything else lurking just below the surface you think is primed for an uptick? Any love for humans? Can humans get back in the mix or is that deck just starting to feel outmoded at this point?
0: No, I think humans is actually really good against Urza. So like in in those more spiky metagames, I think it would be great. But if you're going to be playing against a bunch of Titan Shift and Amulet and probably some more controlled at regionals and stuff, I would not recommend humans. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that there is a, a spot in the metagame for a Thalia deck because it's just one of the the hardest things for Urza to beat, you know? And then you have things like Deputy of Detention that get rid of like all their tokens or their Ensnaring Bridge if they're still doing War of Invention stuff. And I, I think Humans is just good.
1: Sure. On board with Charming Prince at this point?
0: I don't know. I, I It's popping up in all the Magic Online deck lists, but I, I still don't really see what it's actually doing for you. Like you get to reuse Reflector Mage and Thalia's Lieutenant, and then there's... Some amount of utility where it's like kind of a hate card against burn. You get to scry against control and mid range and stuff. But like for a two mana two, two, I don't know, man.
1: Well, personally do not have any experience with the card yet. It looks like a clear inclusion on its face to me, but early reports seem to be favorable. I'll say that people who play a lot of humans seem to be embracing the card.
0: Yeah, that's certainly what it looks like to me, especially from Magic Online. I know that people were kind of low on Sail Freebooter. I think that that needs to flip again. I think that Freebooter is probably pretty good right now. And Mm -hmm. I still like Main Deck Deputy. Unsettled Mariner basically does not have a text box. So if you had slots for Mariner, those could be Charming Princes. You could try that. Okay.
1: I like that setup.
0: Yeah. Other than that, I think trying to figure out what the best Oko deck is kind of what I'm trying to do now.
1: Is there room for a new archetype based around Oko? Maybe something in the more mid-range ish control role, Astrolabe, Ice Fang Icefang, Ice Fang just a kind of a mopey card in the format, right? Like there's so few things to effectively block and kill with it. That's right. just not what Modern is about for the most part. It's crazy that it's better in Legacy than it is in Modern, but well, here we are.
0: Legacy has Delver of Secrets, and that is going to be a constant of the format at any time. You know you know that right. Delver is going to be part of your tournament no matter when and where you play. Whereas Modern currently does not really have a viable Delver deck. There are some that are doing okay on Magic Online. But as far as things like humans, Death Shadow, Tarmogoyf, that's really where you would want Ice Van And those are just at an all-time low right now. Right. Again, probably
1: a card that's better at regionals, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love this whole like setup of being able to go astrolabe into Oko. It's it's very exciting to me. It seems promising, but the realities of modern bring it down just a pinch to make it feel a little bit more unrealistic. Like some kind of analog to four color control in legacy would be so exciting. And the cards are so similar. Like you're really not that far off from being able to play all those things. They just don't line up the same way as they do in legacy.
0: Right, the difference is like, if you were playing against a bunch of cloud post decks in legacy, then you would not (laughs) be able to play those four color control decks, you know? And that's kind of what modern is right now. So yeah, legacy has things like Delver and storm that kind of keep those decks at bay and in check. So then the control decks can actually thrive by trying to beat storm and Delver. Whereas modern, it's like you don't necessarily have a, a check on that stuff. So big mana is going to be prevalent or is going to be prevalent? And then, you know, your, your mid range deck just ends up being poorly positioned a lot of the times. And a lot of the decks that have been successful with Oko and Astrolabe, I mean, and there's, there's been several of them that have five odds, some that are just teamer, some that are four color. We've seen uh, like some Niv Mizzet decks and fellow mm-hmm. guardian decks that are all adopting this card in the main deck. So it is viable, it is good, and certainly from uh, a Junt type of shell, like this is a very good Planeswalker, right? Especially if you have Astrolabe. like You have this thing that actually clocks people, you get to neuter very powerful threats, you get to gain life against burn. So the, the card does a lot for green-black x.
1: Right. Yeah, some kind of Sultai build may be around the corner. Maybe it's just finding the right pieces, or... Maybe it's just never going to happen because we can't interact with lands in a meaningful fashion. Another format doomed by its inability to interact with lands.
0: Yeah. Ghost Quarter isn't quite cutting it. Field of Ruin is good, but a little bit on the slow end. And, uh, you know, Tectonic Rift is kind of far
1: off, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Unfortunately, not making the cut in modern, even though it's dominating standard presently. Clearly. One of the interesting things, I think, from a format-wide perspective, I think the best thing you could ever do for modern is to find a way to empower Delver decks. I think that would be like the best possible way to make the format resemble something more akin to traditional magic and less linear and just have never found the correct way to do so. I talked a bunch when I was doing SDG broadcasts about potentially amping up cantrips and people are very afraid of cantrips. They always expect them to do broken things, but like the difference between ponder And Serum Visions in something like Storm is not as large as you think. But in something like Delver, it's night and day, completely different. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if something like Ponder is the way to go to empower those decks. But that's a whole other discussion. And really, that's for a future modern format. When we get to go back to the ban list, next time we're all outraged about something, we can talk about that.
0: Well, next time, maybe when it's like, well everything is good. The decks are like fun and interactive and the fundamental turn is slowed down a little bit, but like, yeah, maybe blue decks could use a little shot in the arm. Let's talk about maybe uh, unbanning ponder or preordain or both or something. You know, I, I, I do feel like that's a reality that we could live in, but control actually looks pretty good because of things like drown in the lock and end of the story actually being quite good. And,
1: uh, Mystic Sam- Sanctuary is, is yeah. the big takeaway, right? Yeah,
0: that one too. That one too. I mean, I've I've seen people trying to go hard on that with miracles and stuff. Or I really do like one copy in the paradoxical Urza Dex. Sure. Just just to pick up a copy that was uh like you know discarded, countered, or maybe you drew four and kind of like bricked off. I think having one Mystic Sanctuary is good there. But yeah, just being able to rebuy Drown in the Lock, Cryptic Command, into the story, whatever, like control actually is in a place where it can take control of the game and actually get really far ahead on cards and counter spells. And before it was just like, well, I have to disrupt you a little bit and then hope to clock you. But I I think those decks are pretty viable right now. But as far as making Delver viable, I mean, you have Force of Negation, which certainly helps a lot and has given the deck a little shot in the arm. But yeah, the, the cantrips and... Basically, not being able to transform your Delvers are, are kind of the the hard point right now.
1: I think so, and I, w- I would love to see that fixed. Uh, obviously, when we're talking about control, you have to talk about Sam Black's deck. Started off really dominant, looked like Sam was going to make a deep run, ultimately fell off the end of the tournament, finished in 72nd place. But if you got to see his feature matches, this was a deck playing legitimate control, like old school time spiral era type control setups where you just find whatever you need out of your deck and you extend the game. And eventually you just generate all these advantages and the game ends and it looked very impressive doing so. And this is just the first pass. This deck is capable of so much more. It would not surprise me whatsoever if this became a staple of modern going forward.
0: Yeah. We have people like aspiring spike kind of making a case for Grixis on magic online, Sam doing his thing with, uh, Saltai, I think he started 8-1 and one
1: or 7-2. I think he was 8-1 at one yeah. point.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just remember checking in on day two and seeing him like outside of the money or whatever. And I was like, oh, what what happened?
1: Because it did look really good. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was going to run over the tournament at one point. It just, I was like, okay, well, Sam's going to win this and the entire face of modern is going to change. And then things just fell off on the back end. So I'm sure Sam will share exactly what happened at some point. I am curious to hear where things went wrong, what kind of rough matchups he ran into. Because the deck seems like it has all its bases covered, quite frankly. Like, things like Assassin's Trophy being in the main deck now, and you can it- actually interact with lands, and you have your four Snapcaster mages, and Pulse of Mirasa, and you can just buy these cards back over and over, and actually shut your Tron opponent out of Tron in the main deck without paying a huge cost. Right. It's really promising for a control deck.
0: I know, and I kept trying to build different iterations of this deck, and like, oh, what should my splash color be? Should I even have a splash color? And it just looked like Sam with the trophies and his one abrupt decay and the Pulsum Rosses, like, he kind of had his bases covered, you know, and yeah. it, it just seemed very strong to me. And obviously there, you know, this is the second tournament he's played in, uh, and has not been grinding magic online as far as I know. So he's, he's mostly just like working off of a bunch of inexperience, especially because right. like this archetype is new. It has not existed before. Right. Right. Maybe over time, the deck can be tweaked, and you know, his sideboard was the usual suspects for Sultai, right? It's just like oh, some plague engineers, some surgical extractions, whatever. And I'm sure that there is a, a cohesive plan to be had. And maybe there are some matchups like where you want to board in like free Vendillion Clicks or some sort of clock or whatever. Okay. And that would help you a lot. But yeah, the, the deck is going to get better. I, I do think the green splash is probably correct as long as you have determined that doing the pure control thing is viable. Like you right. can lock out burn, you can lock out Tron and stuff like that. And I think Sam has done a good job of that, but I could certainly see games just getting away from him at, at various points.
1: Uh, one thing I will note as a weakness of the deck, graveyard hate, like broad graveyard hate, something like Leyline Line of the Void, Rest in Peace, pretty problematic in a lot of instances. You are very reliant. It's weird because
0: yes, so rest in peace is very good, right? Because it shuts off drown. It makes end of the story cost infinite. But like leyline, it shuts off some stuff. You know, you don't get to sanctuary. You don't get to snapcaster. But as long as your opponent has a graveyard, the deck is kind of turned on. But like you know, if it comes down to like oh, I'm going to sideboard these Nile spell bombs in against Sam's deck, so I can spell bomb myself. Like, that might <laughs> actually be a viable thing in the future, you know?
1: Maybe. It's just maybe. bizarre. Yeah, rest in peace is the slam dunk graveyard hate for sure. Getting rid of all graveyards really, really cripples the deck. Uh, you're right, though. There are some windows to play around. And, of course, there's Assassin's Trophy, so it's not like Sam is locked under that forever.
0: No, but it does set you back a lot. hmm So it, it would certainly be tough. But, yeah, that might be one of the scenarios where it's like, oh, maybe you just, like, you know, Sam had Oko in his sideboard, but, like, maybe you just want more Okos or Vendillions, and you just beat him down.
1: The fact that these decks will all have access to those kind of transformational plans without playing aggressive cards. Like, that's why Vendilion Click shined for so many years, right? Is that it still had some control elements to it. You were still able to take your opponent's best threat and leverage that side of the card. Now you have Oko, which is both aggressive and still an answer at the same time. Weird times. Yeah, A for bizarrely sure. powerful card.
0: Yeah, I can't really think of an analog to that. I mean, Vendillion is very close, right? Because it was like you go from this non-threatening to control deck to suddenly like you're playing a fish deck, and then it's like, oh, I have to keep in some amount of spot removal to to actually just deal with their stupid Vendillions, even though the spot removal is just going to be dead until they play one. It's, it's very strange, and Oko, it's not easy to kill, and can just sit there like generating food could also generate three threes. If you're playing Arkham's Astrolabe, you can just get a three, three on turn three with haste, you know, like it's so versatile and so good. Absolutely.
1: Like I said, we're not done with this card. We'll, we'll probably do a show in the future. that will just be about Oko and modern.
0: Uh, maybe, I mean, there's certainly no shortage of things you can do with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, what else, anything else you want to take a look at any, uh, Things
1: that you want to like called shot for this weekend? Oh, called shot for this weekend. I mean, it's very easy for me to just keep pointing at Amulet Titan. At some point, maybe the Blood Moon's come back and all this will stop. But for the time being, they are nowhere to be seen. And probably rightfully so. Blood Moon doesn't seem like a particularly good card in this format right now. But that is always the check on Amulet Titan. So maybe there is one of those Blood Moon decks floating around out there that can step up and get it shine on for this weekend. Maybe something like the the Mardu-type setups that you were messing with very early on in this format can find success. Something like Colligan's Command seems very good. Blood Moon seems good again. If you could find a way to make that work, maybe that deck has space to shine presently.
0: I had a lot of people ask me about it, so my article this week is on Mardu Stoneblade. Okay. So people who want to know more about that deck get the sideboard guide, updated list, stuff like that, that'll be on star city Friday morning, but I'm still playing fulminator mage because of unearth mostly. And I also have a couple copies of damping sphere because it's good against Urza and most of the big mana decks. Sure. And damping sphere is kind of the blood moon. I mean, it for amulet, it's, it's pretty solid. Obviously it's not as good as blood moon because it just doesn't lock you out of casting spells completely, but with four forests and once upon a times and all that stuff like i i think you're okay against it you still have like the main deck Rexage and everything to you i just don't even think that blood moon's that good
1: yeah you can find your rex ages way more reliably that is that is one of the changes that the deck has undergone more basics like you said and then when it comes to damping sphere well we just have our oko ready so yeah yeah yeah, maybe this is just, this is the time where Titan runs away with things and people start getting angry at the deck. Good. I want the hate to flow through <laughs> people for Amulet Titan.
0: Other than the stuff I talked about that I like, uh, I also like the Sultai Vengevine list. That's like Merfolk mm, Secret Merfolk Keeper. Merfolk Secret Keeper,
1: yeah. Key Drunk good.
0: Crab, and Another Home for Once Upon a Time. I think that mm-hmm. this deck is potentially very good.
1: Well... I was told graveyard decks are no longer a problem because faithless looting is gone, as is Hogak, so I refuse to accept this as a reality, and I will stick my head in the sand and not acknowledge this deck.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you have Bajuka bog in your deck, so you're, you're probably going to be okay. Right, I'm safe.
1: Uh, no, it's interesting, though, because we keep trying to beat this Vengevine problem out, and nothing is working, and it's kind of perfect for the card, right? Like, you just can't do anything to stop this Vengevine for... From coming after It you. is
0: flavorful. They have prized amalgam in their deck now too. So the the zombie hordes, the
1: undead, they keep coming. Right. Yeah, I, I do think this deck is pretty good. Feels a little bit softer than the old setups to traditional graveyard hate. But uh, maybe this deck will pick up Oko too and find a beatdown plan like that. Who knows?
0: Well, with the the day two metagame breakdown in Philly outside of like ancillary stuff, like maybe Urza, like some builds of Urza and, you know, Sam Black's deck, there weren't a lot of graveyard decks. It was like five, four or five copies of Dredge. And then a couple of Gorio's Vengeance things, which are basically non-issues. And kind of as a result of that, like there, there also just wasn't a lot of graveyard hate. So and even with the decks that I build now, it's like, I'm not jamming Leyline or anything. And if I want to play Nihil Spellbomb, or something, like I'll often just be like, well, I should just cut these for more land destruction or more artifact removal. You know, I think people are just going to be at an all time low on graveyard hate.
1: But all that's the consequence of banning faithless looting. And it's right. our job to smash through the door with Venge Vines and make them regret it.
0: Exactly. So if if the format is predicated on turn three kills or turn three virtual kills, you don't want to play normal dredge because normal dredge kills on like turn five. Right. And I think Vengevine with Once Upon a Time, Hedron Crab and Merfolk Secret Keeper are are super fast. And Secret Keeper is a thing that mills you and also just chills in exile as a thing to trigger your Vengevines, which is great. And then the deck has Creeping Chill, too, to just like up its clock and be better against burn. So like this deck has a lot going for it.
1: I mean, what do you think we're dealing with in terms of an average clock here?
0: I would say turn four on average, but like you can certainly spike turn three kills. Okay. Definitely turn three virtual kills, you know, where you just put a bunch of prize amalgams and stuff onto the battlefield. But if you, if you hit two venge on turn two or you hit three creeping chills or whatever, like you're not necessarily favored to do that stuff, but you are going to pick up a lot of free wins on, on things like that.
1: Sounds promising to me. I definitely think this archetype merits more exploration.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Anything else?
1: No, I'm done with modern. I need to start getting ready for this MCQ. Let's wrap it up.
0: All right. Sounds good. So every week we solicit the fine folks in our Discord channel for questions. And we pick our favorite one, answer it at the end of the podcast, and send them a very fancy arena deckless enamel pin in the mail. And this week's question comes from Beef Slab. And Beef Slab wants to know, is Golden Goose the new Rite Shaman? Yes. That's game.
1: Good luck.